Uh, I'm Rob Wooten. Many of you know who I am and what I'm doing here. Uh, if you don't, um, suffice to say that I am a pastor in our denomination, a pastor without a church or without a call and currently looking for one. And I've been attending here at Grace Covenant for about a year and a half since I married your music director. Um, and Dennis and the session and you guys have been gracious and allowing me to use my gifts as I'm waiting on God to see what's next. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 150. That's on page 526 in your pew Bible. If you brought a Bible along, you're not familiar with it. We're right smack in the middle, very at the end of Psalms, the very last Psalm. If you get to Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, you went too far. If you're in Job, you didn't go far enough. Psalm 150. Let's take a look at that quickly. Um, actually, let's just get some teaching stuff out of the way before I jump in. Um, verse 1, praise the Lord. Whenever you see that all caps, L-O-R-D, that's uh, translated from Yahweh. One of the commentators that I read, he always translated Yahweh. And tradition, in, in Hebrew tradition, they, they don't pronounce Yahweh. They say Adonai, Lord. And so that's why we have Lord there in much of the Old Testament. In this case, it's actually a shortened form of Yahweh. It's the, it's the Yah, not the way. But still in mind is the personal God of the people of God of Hebrews, Yahweh. The next one, praise God, El, the Hebrew El. It's just, a, again, another way of saying God. It's a less formal one. Uh, this next word, praise God in his sanctuary, um, that's one word, in his sanctuary. In Hebrew is Kadesh. It's also translated in other places as in his holiness, um, which is an important part, an important thing that we'll need to consider later on. Praise God in his holiness. Praise him in the mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Um, I, th I think at about 10.03, I was talking to Tim Seaman, that 10.03 would be after our service had started. Um, and uh, I told Tim, I said, I'm preaching on Psalm 150, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to talk much about instruments. Um, and many of you know that Tim makes his living as a musician and plays about 973 instruments. Um, nine, 74. 974. So I, I said, Tim, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not, I actually hadn't planned to talk about instruments. And he says to me, you know, I've heard this before. He says, the instruments aren't important. It's the music behind the instruments, which... Fantastic, right? Uh, so at 10.03, I adjusted my sermon. <laughs> so that's all I have to say about instruments. I am going to say something about dance, though, because I've been wrestling with this, this idea, this call to dance um, for several weeks now. And in our tradition, and uh, we don't often think about dance as a part of corporate worship. In fact, there are many in our tradition you would say that dance should not be a part of corporate worship. Um, don't worry, I'm not going to ask everybody to stand up and dance. Um, 
but what I will say is that I think from, from my, my study over the past few weeks, my conviction as I pray and talk to others about this um, is that uh, dance is, is commanded here in Scripture. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. And, and our, our struggles to include dance in worship is largely cultural. Um, we, we're not a, a corporate dance kind of people. Um, you know, it, weddings and the electric slide, and that's not going to work here. So, um, uh, so what I think that could mean for us is when, when your little kids or your grandkids, and during the music, if they start dancing, encourage it. Um, because they're, <laughs> they're, they're moved by the worship of God and the music in that worship. And, and I, was, I was looking around this morning, and I won't say who, but I saw a few people, um, they, they were just moving a little bit, and, and that's good, and that's right. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about dance. Um, this, this psalm, though, it's a, it's a difficult one, because I'll be honest with you, I don't feel much like praising the Lord. Gosh, there's no way I get through all this without crying. I'm probably going to do it a lot. All right, so I, I don't feel much like praising God. Um, and my guess is, is that many of you are in that same spot. Um, you know, and, and for me personally, for those of you who do know me, I do tend to be the, the melancholy sort. Um, I, you know, as the last several weeks uh, from this pulpit, uh, depression has been discussed, and I am someone who has suffered through depression and even treated with medication for clinical depression. Um, and so, and so you think when I come to a text like "Praise the Lord" that that's going to be difficult to to do. And so, and but I chose this text. So why why would I chose choose this text? You know, when Robin and I were dating, I. I said to her as we were talking about many of the difficult provinces in our lives, many of the difficult circumstances that we've gone through, I said to her, I don't want to cry less, but I want to laugh more. And we have. Robin and I laugh all the time. Um, and we cry as well. And uh, I don't want to cry any less than I did through the difficult circumstances of uh, divorce and closing a church, and um, being without a job, and cancer, um, and all the struggles that, that create. I don't want to cry less, because I don't want to lose touch with the reality of the brokenness and the difficulties in this world. I don't want to come into worship and try to forget what's happening in this world. It is not, it is not okay that people were killed this morning in the Middle East. It is not okay, it is not right, it is not okay that people are dying in Africa because of the Ebola virus. It is not okay that here in the most prosperous nation in the world, that the world has ever known in all of time, that there are children that go to bed hungry. This is not okay. It is not okay that there are people in this room that are so gripped by pornography that they do not know how to break free 
They do not know how to ask for help because of the shame and fear of judgment that comes with it. That is not okay. It is not okay that divorce ravages our families and our children. It is not okay that people suffer and die from cancer. It is not okay that people who want to work to provide for their families cannot find a job. These things are not okay, and it's not right. And I don't want to lose sight of these as I come into worship in, in the morning, on a Sunday morning. I don't want you to lose sight of the brokenness and difficulties in, in this world. And so how do we come to a text like Psalm 150 that says, praise the Lord? How do we come to that text? It is imperative that we understand how to do this. That we take stock of all the difficulties that we face in our life, and we can, not despite the hard providence of this world. Not because of them, but in light of them, understanding them, that we can come and see how God is moving and at work, even in the most difficult things that we have to face day by day, and say, praise the Lord. What's fantastic about the Psalms, and, and I've been praying through the Psalms um, intensely for several years now, and, uh, and I'm even more convicted over the last couple of weeks in preparation for this time, that the Psalms are, one, are perhaps the best guide for our lives of faith. That praying through the Psalms gives us a worldview, it gives us God's worldview. Because it does that exact same thing, that it does the thing that I'm just um, encouraging us this morning. It calls us to look clearly at the brokenness of this world. It calls us to see how God is at work in that. And it leads us to prayer and praise in light of how God is at work. And the Psalms take us through that process. And we see, we see that at work in, in some individual Psalms. And we certainly see that at work through the breadth of the whole Psalter. This morning, I want to let the Psalms do my work for me. Originally, I had wanted to read like a bunch, and I added up, it was 180 verses, and I timed it out, and it was going to take me like 30 minutes just to read all those verses. So I, I trimmed it down, Dennis, we're not going to go that long. But I do want to look at God's story, the story of God as told by the Psalms, the story of creation, the story of the fall, the story of redemption and then the hope for and long for consummation of all things that Jesus returned. To start that, I want to, uh, to look at Psalm 33. And because there's so many different flipping, I'm going to put um, these next three psalms up on the screen. So um, Psalm 33, you can flip with me or you can just read up above my head. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise benefits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillful on the strings with loud shouts. For the, Lord, the, for the word of the Lord is upright. 
And all His work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of His mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the apostles. I'm, I'm sorry. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His, his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom He has chosen as His heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where He sits enthroned. He looks out. And all the inhabitants of the earth He who fashioned the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in His holy name. Let Your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in You. There are other psalms, of course, that talk about God's glory in creation. One that may come to mind is Psalm 19, which we um, prayed this morning in our call to worship. In, in Psalm 33, verses 6-8, through eight, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. When I think about the glory of God in creation, the first um, experience that I consider is, is a, sitting on a surfboard uh, off of the coast of Virginia Beach in the Atlantic Ocean. And it was a day right after a hurricane had passed uh, a couple hundred miles offshore. And it was a beautiful, glorious day. It was, the skies were blue. There was a, a, a strong offshore breeze that was holding the waves up. And it was blowing the spray off the waves as they were breaking. And as I was sitting there on my surfboard, I could see little rainbows in, in the showers breaking on the waves. And then there were a couple of dolphins that were surfing the waves beside me. And, and I look, and I see these two dolphins. And it wasn't a crowded surf spot. There was a guy maybe 25 yards away. And, and I would see these dolphins surfing. And I was like, this is fantastic. This is amazing. This is glorious. This is the glory of God's creation. And then after these two dolphins surfed that wave right next to me, I was sitting there, and this dolphin sticks its head up about 15 feet away. And I'm, I'm not going to do a good dolphin voice. I'm going to try it. It stuck its head up out of the water. This was, it was almost surreal. And it's like, ee, ee. And, I'm, and I'm just grinning ear to ear, and I look at this other guy, and and. And he's grinning. I don't know this other guy, but we're both like, oh, this is amazing. And the dolphin, it was like the dolphin was saying, isn't this amazing? <laughs> or maybe he was saying, there's a giant shark underneath if you get out of the water. <laughs> I don't know, but it, you know, dolphins, it looks like they're smiling, so. It was glorious. I was... I was reveling in God's glorious creation. 
everything that God has made is glorious. Demands that we praise Him for it. Every person that God has made is glorious. That moment when you're holding your spouse's hand and you look into their eyes and say, oh my word, she's beautiful. You have certainly made something amazing here. Or when you hold your newborn in your arms and you look into their eyes or you hold your grandchild in your arms and you say, this is glorious. And every single person created on this planet in the image of God, glorious. Seven billion people alive today, glorious, demanding of our praise. All the people that before that. We consider seven billion people, it doesn't take long for us to think there's a lot that's not glorious. There's a lot of darkness and evil. We see that in people as well. We see that even in creation. The next psalm that I want to consider as we look at the second part of this story, the story of the fall of man, is Psalm 39. And this isn't a psalm that describes the fall, but it's very much the effects of the fall. And how the psalmist here, how David considers the brokenness of this world. Psalm 39, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with the muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me as I mused the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a breath. Surely man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. O now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I'm spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me. that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. That last verse, verse 13 of Psalm 39, may take a second to really understand what's happening there. There is not, for me, there is not a more heartbreaking verse in Scripture. Look away from me so that I may smile again. It's, in, it's, it's as if David is saying, you're sovereign. And even saying you're good. You're sovereign and you're good. But your providence is too much for me to bear. The difficulties that I have faced, 
They are too much for me to handle. Remove your hand from me. Take away your presence from my life so that I can be free of your difficult providences and may smile again. I want to escape. I want to be free. I do not want to have to deal with the difficulties that you have brought into my life. Take your hand away from me so that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Uh, it's can can you handle can you handle the pain can you handle the difficulties in your own life in the lives of those you are close to the, those that you love do you know people who are going through unspeakable pain who this verse is true for are you strong enough uh, a colleague, a friend of mine, um, spent most of last week, uh, this is a pastor in our denomination, and some of you may have heard of this, um, he spent most of last week sitting with uh, a husband and father and their 11-year-old after his wife uh, shot their special needs daughter and then took her own life. My friend is one of the most capable pastors that I know. He is, he's brilliant. He understands the gospel. He knows how to uh, apply it into people's lives. Was he prepared to sit in that room? Was he strong enough? Did he have what it took to handle the hard providences that this world brings? He will clearly tell you no. I know that I do not. And often I have prayed this prayer. Lord, remove your hand from me so that I can smile again. There's a reason that God tells us that to ask for daily bread. We ask for daily bread, or maybe, and of course it's it's metaphor. It's a metaphor for our need for Jesus. And as a metaphor, it's not just specifically daily, hourly. What do we need from God? We need God every hour. We need Him every minute. There's not one second that you are not in need of Jesus. The next part of God's story is the story of redemption. And it's the age that we live in now. We live in the age of redemption. We live in the age of Jesus' work for us. His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, His eternal reign, His intercession right now on our behalf. This is the age that we live in, the age of redemption. I want to look at Psalm 107. And I'll confess that this maybe should have been my sermon. Psalm 107. Um, and so the third point of my sermon has four sub-points, but we're going to go quickly. I'm not going to uh, expound on them. Psalm 107, this is the intro to these four points. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, 
whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. And then the, the, these next four sections, they're metaphors for how we, how we might find ourselves in need of a redeemer. And we see how he provides, how he redeems. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to, uh, to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. This metaphor is for those who are lost. If, if you're not a Christian this morning, uh, first, we're, we're absolutely honored that you would make this part of your spiritual journey. Um, we, we hope you feel welcome. We hope you feel like this is a place where you can ask questions, where you can struggle, where you can um, pursue faith. So if you're not a Christian this morning, this could be you. I mean, you got up on a Sunday morning uh, to come to church when you could be sleeping in. You got up because you're searching for something, because something's not right, because you have this sense of, I'm, I'm lost, I, I need something. Maybe, maybe it's here, maybe it's in the God of the Bible. Perhaps you're feeling lost even as a Christian. Perhaps you're facing the hard provinces of joblessness or, or divorce or, or addiction. Or, and you don't know how God is leading. You know your story and, and you don't know where God is taking you. And you find yourself waiting on God, but you, can't, you think, how can I wait any longer? I do not feel led. I feel left. And so this is a picture of someone who is lost. And so what we see is that God promises to lead them. He says, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Are you lost? Or are you struggling feeling lost? Then then cry out to God. Cry out to God. And and hear the promise, the promise here from God. Cry out to the Lord and He delivered them. He will deliver you from your distress. He will lead you by a straight way. He will lead you to a city to dwell in. Second metaphor, the second section here. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works, to the children of men, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. This is a story of, of rebels. I relate to this. I often find myself in rebellion. I want to stand up against something, and, and as I've grown and matured, I find myself standing up and against things that need to be stood up and against. But that wasn't always the case. 
But the reality is, is that the way that the Bible teaches us about sin is that this is all of us from birth to death, that we're all rebelling against God. Perhaps in words, perhaps in actions, perhaps in deeds, perhaps in thoughts. You ever have a thought that's unkind? You're not living in light of who you are as a Christian. You know, Paul in 1 Timothy, he says, I am the foremost of sinners. And this is after 30 years of ministry. I mean, Paul, the greatest Christian ever, right? Established churches, preaches the gospel. He says, I am the foremost of sinners. Are you the foremost of sinners? Do you think of yourself like Paul thought of himself after 30 years of ministry? If you don't, then I would encourage you to examine the heart of sin because Paul understands that it's, it's not simply in getting better at doing the right things. But it's instead, it's understanding the nature of our heart, the nature of sin in this side of heaven, the nature of our brokenness and our fallenness, is that we are always going to choose some avenue of ourselves. And so cry out. Cry out to the Lord in your trouble and be delivered from your distress. Next section. Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquity, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of His deeds and songs of joy. The metaphor here, the picture is those who in sin have brought upon some physical uh, struggle, um, illness, something into their lives. It, the, the picture of a drug addict fits here perfectly. Um, or, or alcoholism. Or You think about like the, the three things that can cause pain and death in our lives. Drugs, sex, alcohol. Those are the results. If there's anything, I, you know, for me, it's, it was, this is maybe silly, but um, my pursuit of uh, extreme sports, I didn't, I didn't care what I jumped off of, 20 feet, jump off of a cliff, you know. Um, my body hurts, you know. My, uh, I'm, I'm a 40-year-old man, and I hurt like a 60-year-old man. Um, and it was, it's because I had no regard for what I did with extreme sports. And I mean, that's the picture. If you find yourself in this picture, then cry out to God. He promises to heal you. The promise for healing for all of us in our broken bodies, the promise for healing is to come. And, and maybe we even see some of it today. But the promise for the healing of hearts and minds because of the stress that you have felt, because of the sinful choices that you have made in your life, the promise for the healing of hearts and minds happens right now, can happen right now as you cry out. As you cry out to God and are redeemed. Last section. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. 
They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. When they were glad of the waters, when they were glad, then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and He brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people. Can you go back to the last slide? The metaphor here is, is, is what we see is, is men at sea. And, and all they've done is gone out to sea to sail and to make their living. There's no picture of sin here. It's a picture of strength. It's a picture of these were men who knew what they were doing and knew how to do it, and so they went out to do their work. And through no fault of their own, a storm came up. Where is your strength? Where do you find your strength? In your bank account? In your intellect? In your family? Even in your church community? Where is your strength? And what if that was taken away? Where would your strength be then? Some of you know that feeling. Things can be and, and have been stripped away. Not because of what you've done, but because of hard provinces. Cry out to the Lord and find your deliverance there. So are you lost? Are you a rebel? Are you broken? Are you shaken? Are you desperate? Do you cry out? Have you been redeemed? In this last section on consummation, the consummation of all things, we look forward to what Jesus is going to do when He returns. And so, I think as we, as we consider hope, I want, to, I want to talk about hope for a second, for a, a minute. Because hope is, is kind of difficult to define. I, I hope that the new Batman-Superman movie lives up to my expectations and that Ben Affleck can pull it off. I do. I hope that that's the case. I hope that the Seattle Sounders of Major League Soccer are able to win the championship this year. And I have reason to hope they're having their best season yet. They're top of the table. I hope that the Sounders win the championship. There's a great, my favorite, my favorite movie, Shawshank Redemption. Um, it's not a movie for children, but it's a fantastic movie. Uh, there's a great quote on hope. At the end of the movie, um, Morgan Freeman, who's been in prison all his life and finally gets out and he's looking forward to seeing his friend. He says, I find, and of course I can't do Morgan Freeman's voice. If I would, you know, I'll be crying and it would be beautiful, but... So Morgan Freeman, I find I'm so excited I can barely sit still or hold a thought in my head. I think it's the excitement that only a free man can feel. A free man, the start of a long journey whose conclusion is uncertain. I hope I can make it across the border. 
I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it is in my dreams. I hope. That's a fantastic quote, right? But it's not enough. Because it's, it's, it's just a wish. It's just a, it's, it's a, it's just a, a hope. It's, a, it's not a hope. It, he has reason to hope. If you, know, if you know the story, he has reason to hope, just like I have reason to hope that Ben Affleck can pull off Batman. But it's not the hope that we have for heaven. It's not the hope that we have for the consummation of all things, because that hope is based on a promise. That hope is based on the promise that God gives to us in his word. In Revelation 21, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear. That hope is built on a promise. The promise that there will be a day when Jesus returns. Just like there was a day that he died on the cross. There was a day in history where Jesus died on the cross. There was a day in history recorded by men who were eyewitnesses when Jesus rose again from the dead. There was a day in history when Jesus ascended into heaven. These are days that happened. And there will be a day when Jesus returns, when He comes back. And that is our hope. And that is the promise that Scripture offers to us. That is the hope that we can hold on to today. It is a hope for tomorrow, but it's a hope that we can hold on to today. As I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, one of the things that he said about Psalm 150 is that all prayers end in praise. All your prayers, everything that you've longed for, everything that you've prayed about, it will end in prayer, end in praise. Maybe not today. Maybe not next week. But the promise is, is that it will end in praise. Because that is the promise that God gives to us in His Word. It's the promise that we have received by faith. It's the promise that we hold on to, that there will be that day. And it gives us the hope for tomorrow. So praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen.